Hi everyone, this is Jen and Sam and welcome to our podcast Miracle Mindset. Where we give you our unsolicited, probably unwanted advice. But if you want to become the best version of yourself, start believing in yourself a little bit more, then tune in every Sunday for the podcast. Cheers. Bye. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Miracle Mindset. So I'm really, really excited because we have a guest on today. We actually reached out to because I feel like she's amazing with all things relationships, attachment styles, a bit of a coach. And so I just love that we can get to pick your mind. So it is Ali Hendry. Um, Please just introduce yourself, let everyone know a little bit about you, what you do, your work. Yeah, thank you so much for rooting me out. It's really lovely to be here. So yeah, I'm really excited about our chat um so yes I'm a holistic relationship coach I work with LGBTQIA plus women and non-binary people um, and I'm also an educator so I talk a lot about relationships and I run inclusion training as well for the wellness industry um other bits and bobs I did a TED talk at the beginning of this year whoop all around jealousy survivor's guide to jealousy so that was great to have that opportunity and I also work for diva magazine which is a um, women's magazine that is based in the UK but actually it's the largest in the world I have just heard used to be the largest in Europe but it's the largest in the world in terms of of its ilk so for queer women which is great Um, and other little bits and pieces I am the education director for Radiant Coaches Academy so I get the absolute dreamy pleasure of training up students to be ICF certified so yeah and I get to sleep sometimes (laughs) (laughs) get straight into the questions because we have so many and like I know that um the topics that we cover are going to be something that everyone's really excited to hear um so first we want to start off with finding yourself before finding a relationship so like we hear all the time oh like you have to really focus on yourself like love yourself completely and like it can just become very like a passive thing to say but how do we truly find ourselves and enjoy that time for ourselves before constantly thinking oh boy it would be nice to have somebody there yeah I I'm gonna put a cat amongst the pigeons not my cat because she's asleep but a cat amongst pigeons I think it's a fallacy I actually think it's a fallacy that we need to enter a relationship fully formed, because if we think about it, that assumes that, for example, we both know what the idea of fully formed is. And we might have completely different ideas of what a comprehensive, fulfilling, loving, intimate relationship is. So already we might be on different pages. We can't predict what the outcome of any relationship is. So I think to say that we need to be in a particular place at the beginning doesn't necessarily have to be there. That's not to say, like you've mentioned, that we can't work on self-care, that we can't look at how we can be the best version of ourselves, ready to receive a new person. However, we can do that before we're in a relationship, while we're in a relationship, after a relationship. We can do that at any time. We can always be working on ourselves. So if we focus on those sorts of things, you know, if you're, how you treat yourself inadvertently or sometimes directly is how other people think about treating you they might not be tuning into it 100 percent, but if they see you not up to up to par with your your the way that you relate to yourself and your negative self-talk and you're not investing in you know healthy practices whether that's physical mental emotional spiritual practices where would they get the ideas to do the same thing for you because they're like oh yeah that's kind of what they feel they deserve 
So we have to be really careful that inadvertently we're not sending out those negative messages. So let's get back to ourselves and let's see, actually, what? how do I want to treat myself? What are my needs? I think I do a lot of talk about self-care. It comes up a lot, self-care, self-compassion, um, self-love. It ain't just bath bombs. <laughs> I think the best thing you can do for yourself is work on your boundaries. Work on what are your absolute yeses? What are your absolute noes? What are your non-negotiables? How do you set those boundaries between yourself and others? Prentice Hill does this, uh, gave this amazing uh, definition of, of boundaries. They said that the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously, that's what a boundary is. I love that. Wow. So that's, that's kind of, I think, you know, the starting place. What can we do? What are our needs? And when we think about those sorts of needs that we might have, they they could be needs that come under, for example, there's a, a triangle, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And this triangle talks about all sorts of different types of needs. And so have a look at that triangle and see where are the gaps in you? So is it something to do with like a physiological need? So that's your basics, your food, your water, your warmth, rest, sex. Is it around safety needs? So that's safety of your health, your resources, your security. The next kind of level up is around belongingness. So that's that relationship with friends, family, community, etc. And then we've got esteem needs. So that's your sense of accomplishment or respect. And then right at the top, you've got those self-actualization needs, which is about achieving your full potential. And so when you look back on that and you think, actually, yeah, that's an area I'd like to grow into then we need to do a little bit of work around that. Get yourself a coach <laughs> um, or talk to trusted friends about those areas. What do they see in you that actually you need to work on and grow that so that you are treating yourself in the way that you treat your beautiful friends? So do it for you. It's so interesting that because you can see in people things that you blind yourself as in. So for me, for example, I can overlook probably many things that, are so obvious to other people. And so when we're hurt, we act a certain way, or especially with boundaries, I think boundaries are one of the biggest things that can change your life, but the hardest things to implement. And I think it can link to self-worth. I'd love to explore that with you a little bit about how closely related self-worth and boundaries are, because I know that people maybe want to set boundaries who might be listening to this, but are afraid that, if they set these boundaries that they'll no longer be good enough for someone or they might lose certain things and it's weighing up your self-worth and how how you want to come across and your boundaries and then also relating to other people so what would your advice be on that yeah that's a really hard one and boundaries is a topic that comes up all the time in the coaching arena and what I find is that we we're quite good at laying them down in the first instance what we forget to do is to reinforce them and we need to reinforce them by actions and words so we need to make sure that both those things are in place and um, I think that one of the ways that we can definitely look at that is be prepared for a negative reaction I mean I would right if somebody tells me their boundaries I'm not naturally going to go oh okay okay fine I'm going to have some kind of response and I think sometimes we let that influence us and we go ah oh, yeah okay so maybe I've got it wrong when mm. actually bear with it that person has got to get used to it you've you've invested a lot of time and energy to to make that statement so be ready for that negative feed, feedback or that negative response 
and keep going. Push through that. Give yourself a little bit more time. Reinforce it and and show it as well. You know, for example, people saying, oh, I just can't get any free time. You know, this is one of the great things about relationships. A, a lot of us, we want relationships that have intimacy and closeness and also space, which is a paradox. How can you get both? And yet the more spacious your relationship feels, sometimes for people, I mean, certainly for me, I feel like it's much more intimate. Mm. And so you might be saying, actually, I just want to have 20 minutes on a Sunday morning just for me in my space. And somebody else, well, you don't need that. All this kind of selfishness. Come on, you know, be part. We need you. We need you to do some stuff in the morning. You're like, no, I really do need to have this 20 minutes. So you go into your room, you shut the door. They come in. And so they've broken the boundary. So for some of us, we'd be like, oh, okay, fine. But actually what we can do is we can stand up. We can go over to the door. We can open the door and say, look, I really do need these, these 20 minutes. You know, so we're showing them <laughs> the way out. And they might come back in again and again. You say, okay, this is what we're going to be doing. And you you show them that that's not okay. And after a while, like anything, it becomes a habit and it becomes part of the pattern. And then you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that was a problem when it started, wasn't it? And now look at it. I've got 20 minutes to myself as well, which I really enjoy. I think you've got to be so secure in yourself and your own boundaries to not take other people's boundaries personally as well. Because somebody saying to you, well, I just want 20 minutes on my own if you if boundaries aren't a thing that you're considering can seem like such a personal attack like well why would you want 20 minutes because I don't want 20 minutes away from you so I think like really understanding the concept and realizing like actually it's quite an attractive thing that this person is so like confident in who they are that they know that they want 20 minutes on their own it's probably going to better themselves in some way or even just up their mood for the rest of the day and so I need to respect that and then they can respect mine as well it's such like a sign of a healthy relationship and I think it's probably something that you have to recognize t- in order to like do it I don't think it Love would actually to yeah I don't think it would come naturally to everybody to just accept boundaries as it is yeah. and not take offense and you could you could frame it as an agreement so when we talk about agreements versus rules so rules are imposed they are me telling you you're if you do this there's going to be consequences and people don't like rules so if we step back from rules and we say actually this is this is an agreement this is something that I want us to come up with a way forward so a classic might be you're in you're in a restaurant and you your partner is always flirting with the wait staff and you say to them if you flirt one more time I'm going to leave the restaurant so that's a rule. That's that's a threat. You know, that says you're going to do this. I'm going to do that. When actually, if we and that's going to push you apart, when actually we, we want something that's going to bring us together, that's going to, yes, feel vulnerable. And as we know, you know, vulnerability brings people closer together if we're able to get into that space together. So an, so an agreement would be, I find it really hard if you are flirting with the white staff and then you you suggest a need would it be okay if you just reach out and hold my hand during, you know, and, and then I'll be okay. And it's okay to ask for that. It's okay to ask for that. It doesn't make you weak. doesn't make you diminished in any way. It makes you strong because you are stating your needs. And it's going to feel weird to start with. It's definitely going to feel weird. But if your intention is this is an agreement, this is something we're sharing, what's that going to open up? Maybe they will then suggest something to you and you're like, yeah, actually, yeah, I find that quite hard. Let's find a different way of doing that together. Let's find that that shared answer together. I think, honestly, 
that's such amazing advice because if, for example, if they were flirting with the waitress, automatically 95% of the people listening to this podcast, young girls who just want a man to love them or want a woman to love them, will literally say, like, what do you think you're doing? Like, and the defensiveness straight away and you can call someone out and you can take things so personally and it does create a rift because insecurity and like the way you handle insecurity can push people away 99% of the time because you're trying to protect yourself whereas if you actually reframe it and think right how can I get closer to this person how can I actually reframe this insecurity and and feel better in this moment it it would literally change the game for people and like I, I do definitely think communication is so difficult in relationships because you don't want to feel unloved and you don't want to feel like you're not good enough and the the loving somebody else or the liking somebody else but I do genuinely believe that if you don't take it personal and think about maybe what you what are you feeling is lacking in that moment it's so powerful. I think that's a, an amazing bit of advice, to be honest. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes we mislabel our own emotions as well, because if you think about it, an emotion is a feeling in our body. It starts in our body. It's a physiological reaction. And our brain goes, oh, hello, what's going on here? And then it makes a decision and it gathers all the information that it's got. And then it, and then it says, oh, you're insecure because it, it knows the word insecure and it's comfortable with the word insecure. And that's what you do. And everybody says that, you know, oh, if you don't like them flirting, it means you're insecure. Actually, it could be anger. It could be resentment. It could be upset. It could be fear. There could be so many other emotions that are part of it or separate from it. And if we mislabel it, then it takes us into a world of pain that actually is about something else. And we haven't had a moment to just check in with ourselves and go, the facts are, I feel uncomfortable. I've got some kind of heat in my chest right now and my face feels quite flushed. I don't like this feeling. I feel out of sorts. Can you help me? You know, you're reaching out. Can you help me with this? I know you don't mean to do anything, to upset me in this way there's something there's a reaction in my body and I, I haven't quite understood it yet I just want to I just wanted some help with this it's it's hard it's really hard and, and as you say you know there is that vulnerability and how is somebody going to react to that I don't know I don't know we never know how someone's going to react but at least it's you being authentic mm. what would your top tips be for opening up the conversation if you're in front of somebody and you have all these things that you want to say but you just can't get out or like the nerves are setting in maybe you don't know them too well you're a few dates in and you're thinking I would like to be honest with this person I think they could go somewhere but I just can't muster up the courage or I don't know where to begin yeah there's there's lots of things you can do I talk quite a lot about journaling now journaling you don't have to write it down you know we kind of think of the traditional sitting at the table and scribing away for hours and hours that doesn't have to be journaling we could do mental journaling you can take an idea for a walk you can walk down the street and be thinking about something and that's you journaling you can voice note journal you can you can write things down you could write it on your phone you um you could write bullet points so you might want to actually write down a script a, a made up script of what you're going to say and what they're going to say so you've planned it in advance and you've got some ideas of what they might be feeling and thinking what you want to be feeling and thinking and you can plan it out in that way if that's how your brain works 
or you might just want to get into a relaxed position and just think through how the conversation is going to go. When it comes to the actual conversation, one of the key things that I always suggest is to start with an intention. What is your intention for this conversation? As you approach it, how do you want to leave that conversation feeling? How do you want your partner to leave that conversation feeling? And that amazingly can carry you through the whole conversation. So if you're feeling, if you're thinking, actually, my intention is going to be, I want to approach this with compassion and I want them to leave feeling loved. Brilliant. So we've got compassion and loved. It's going to be an awkward conversation. We've not had this kind of conversation before. However, I know that I'm going with this intention of compassion and loved. Brilliant. So what next? Well, setting out, like we talked about earlier, the boundaries and making sure that they're clear on where you're coming from. Because all you've really got is you, your thoughts, your feelings, your ideas. So focus, focusing on those I statements, you know, this is how I feel. This is what happens for me. And then reaching across to them you know, and saying, how, how does that feel? How does that feel? How's, how's that landing with you? So checking in with their understanding of what you've said. When they share some information, making sure that you are clarifying it, because sometimes we hear what we want to hear uh, and we always start thinking about something else while they're talking. If you think about it, I don't know about you, but when I listen to podcasts, I always listen to them either a speed and a half or double speed. So what we know about the speed of talking and the speed of listening is that we listen faster than we talk. So there's a gap, right? There's a gap between us having a conversation, then receiving that information. So during that gap, what are you doing? You're thinking about, I don't know, what, what color are you gonna paint your nails next? You're gonna think about what's for breakfast. You're thinking about what are they really saying? Or maybe there's a word and you're kind of just thinking about that word and nothing else that they said after that. Maybe they, you're not, you're in a different state of mind. So there's a huge, opportunity for you to not hear what's being said. So make sure that you repeat back what they've said, you ask for clarification. Um, going back to that, what I said earlier, be vulnerable, be okay. And I know this is easier said than done. Try it in small, like 1% of vulnerability. Try that first, just sharing one little percent of vulnerability towards your partner and see what that feels like. Chances are they will share a little bit with you and you'll be able to share a little bit more then. Allow time, really value the amount of time this, this could take and bracket that time. Have something whereby you um, have got something afterwards that's, you know, maybe you're gonna have this conversation and then you're gonna go and watch a film or you're gonna have this conversation and then you're going listening to this podcast, people. It could be that. I mean, I love doing that kind of thing with partners. Listen to a podcast together and then allocate 20 minutes afterwards and chat about the contents of the podcast because that's still part of it. I want to know my partner in different ways, in different settings. So that means that I need to do things with them that bring in fresh conversations. It could be that you want to get, um, you know, you can get these little dating cards off the internet and asking these questions. I had a partner and one thing we would do, we weren't living together. And every time we had this little ritual, every time we met up, we would both start with three questions. And one of us would say at first, at some point in the first sort of 20 minutes of us reconnecting with each other, one of us would go three questions. 
And you'd have to ask, the other person would have to ask three random questions. It could be anything, absolutely anything. It could be about past, present, present, future. And then the other person would have to ask their three questions. And sometimes it was a cop out and we'd go, well, I'm going to ask you the same questions. I mean, if you want to learn about your partner, and this is for long-term partners as well, you've got to start doing things differently. <laughs> you've got to, because if you do the same things, you get the same outcome. Um, with these difficult conversations, just one final thing I would also say is take breaks. Take breaks. Mm. Don't labour it for hours and hours. You need snacks. You need nourishment. You need to go into different rooms. You need to go into the garden and scream or take off your shoes and socks and feel the grass. All those sorts of things need to be factored into this really important, valuable conversation. But hey, you start this early, this could become a ritual. Every Sunday we have this time where we have this conversation and then we make sure that at the end we're connected again and we you know we end it with a hug or we end it with saying something silly that happened that week so we end it with this beautiful reconnection I think that one of like the most powerful things is genuinely having intention because people people want to be loved the end of the day most com most arguments in relationships in friendships come from a lack of being loved or a lack of feeling understood in some kind of way and yet it's the way we go about things we want love but it's the way we communicate which ends up causing us more divide and I think it is so important to ask those deeper questions and I know like for example in my relationship and like even the other day I just said like oh what's your like worst memory and your best memory that you can ever think of and we'd started talking about that and I was like I never knew that about about you and it's it's it taught me a lot about something that I'd never have thought about and the day after I was like isn't it weird like have you ever thought maybe the reason you did this is because of that in your past and we were like wow that's crazy and I don't know I think sometimes we we think we know the person in front of us but we're so like we said about you at the start we're so multifaceted like we're always changing and evolving and maybe one day we're this person in this career and then the next minute we're a completely different person and I do think it's so powerful to ask and to set intentions and know where you're coming from when you go into something like when you genuinely have com having conversations with people we should be thinking in the back of our heads where do I want this to go mm. because yeah. sometimes with like I know for me for example if I've ever been jealous or hurt the intention wouldn't be pure because I'd I'd feel defensive and feel like oh I want to get this out or I want to make them feel like I'm as good as them or whatever it may be and we're all probably guilty of it but it's not making you feel good you're not really addressing your inner need and it's causing more divide yeah yeah it, we're talking about curiosity here and curiosity is sexy what what happens at the beginning of a relationship it's all about curiosity it's all about finding out the shape, the colour, the size, the flavour, the texture of your partner or partners. That's what happens at the beginning. And we lose a bit of that when we when we start to be in more of a longer term relationship. And if we can get back to that place of curiosity, it is sexy. 
Yeah, it is definitely knowing and like appreciating that that person is probably completely different to you in so many ways. And you don't have to worry and panic and think like, oh, well, they don't agree with me on this or we don't they don't value things the same way that I do or like different values anyway. Um, What would you say to that? Actually, what would you say to like really wanting this to work or like having this partner, but them having differences that like you feel like you could get over or appreciate but you still just question maybe it is a value or maybe it's a difference in like what they expect out of a relationship or how they feel loved or how you feel loved or like just differences that are definitely there but you don't want it to be an ultimatum Mm, yeah one of the things that I love doing with people who are at any point in their relationship including being single which is a relationship design it is a relationship design um I say well when was the last time you looked at your relationship values you use that word value and and absolutely is looking at what your relationship values are there's an exercise that I like to do with my clients around relationship values that helps people to look at where are they at right now with those values which ones are non-negotiables which ones are nice to haves um and what about my partner can they do the same exercise i i like to encourage couples to have and throuples and i you know i work with in the non-monogamy world as well to have relationship books and to write in there first sort of few things are about you how you operate in the world how you like to receive love for some of us we like to receive love by uh doing the washing up that means you love me if you do the washing up for other people actually no you love me if you're giving me affirmations or you love me if you are um doing some something around the house some active service so find out because you might be saying how can they not know I don't love them? I hug them every day. I tell them how beautiful they are. Whereas the other person is thinking, how can they never do the washing up? They clearly don't love me. And so you end up having this complete mismatch because you haven't worked out how you approach your love language. How do you relate to uh, love? What does it mean to you? How does it show up for you? And, And it's okay if those things are different. Let's find out what works for your partner. So I think that's that's a really important thing. And, and with with the with the values, really knuckling into which ones are important to you. And if you can identify what those values are, so they might be kindness, they could be anything. This is the thing about doing these exercises. There is no wrong way of coming up with values. They could be things like kindness and compassion. They could be things like owns a car. You know, they could be anything. They could be any kind of thing that you think actually that's really important has has got children, hasn't got children, um, does want children, doesn't want children. It can be any of those things. It, you don't, don't limit yourself. This is your life, right? This is yours. You choose, you get to choose. So work out what is of value to you. What do you imagine your relationship is going to look like? And what are the qualities that are around that? And then what I ask people to do is pick the top two that are these non-negotiables and work on them for yourself. 
So they're your values, right? So work on you having those values because quite often what we want in others is what we have in ourselves. So start to grow your own values, start to grow those areas because things like law of attraction suggest that we are energy. And so if we're putting out this energy around, actually, I would like to be in a relationship with somebody who is really emotionally literate and is really, you know, reads a lot and um, is aware of kind of things like attachment theory. And so I'm going to go and do loads of research about that and I'm going to understand it. And chances are you will start a conversation with somebody who's like, oh yeah, I'm really into that as well. Brilliant. So you've got this shared experience. And so you've sent out this energy and law of attraction would say that you've encouraged that by focusing on it amazing the advice that you give is so thought out and like you t- like you say it so well obviously but like to hear it like this I think is just going to be so helpful we wanted to talk as well about attachment styles so another huge part of who you are how you've been made into the person that you are the way that you love the way that you like take love show love everything and another facet to your relationship, what are the different attachment styles? How do we find out what we are and how do they affect our relationships? Yeah, good one. It's one of those areas where if we want to get curious and we want to find out more about ourselves and who we are in relationship and how we can do better and learn better and also how we can support our partners, it's a really great area for for that in terms of attachment theory so attachment theory started in the 1960s by someone called John Bowlby with a very very lovely moustache in London 1960s London and then was also picked up by Mary Ainsworth what they weren't thinking about in those days was indigenous populations so those populations that are not Eurocentric and do not have nuclear families so it, it doesn't work as a global idea when we talk about attachment theory for me, it works because um, obviously growing up in you know Eurocentric nuclear family. So we have to take that on board that it's not user friendly for all. Um, what he was talking about was how how our relationships with our parents shape our romantic relationships. So we'd all agree that our first experience of any kind of relationship is with our primary carers mm-hmm. or our parents or the people that we are around the most as children. Mm-hmm. So we pick up messages from them about what a relationship is. When we get into adulthood, inadvertently, because brains like familiarity, we look for the same things, which if we had a secure attachment which is one of the styles if we had a secure attachment that's great because we're going to be looking for that in our partners if we had an insecure attachment that's not so great because if we're going to be looking for that in our partners and we're going to be accepting it and being okay with it because it feels familiar so what he was looking at was ways of categorizing these you know methods that our parents or carers brought us up by and how that might influence us in in later life it's it's really important to keep these things in mind when you look at attachment theory and there are loads of books and uh, I can give you some recommendations we can put them in the show notes um, around workshops etc workbooks etc that people can look at and podcasts Um, and in fact Elizabeth Day has just done a brilliant one Um, she's doing a podcast with her best friend who's who's a therapist and they were talking about attachment theory so I can give you all those links 
stay on this podcast though people because this is a brilliant podcast <laughs> am i allowed to mention other podcasts um, other podcasts are available this is obviously the best one so the thing about attachment theory is that yes there are different styles but they don't define you they're not personality types they're simply a collection of behaviors that could show up in adulthood because of what you've learned in childhood okay so if we look at the, there are loads of different um, models that have come up. I'm just going to talk about three different models. There are, largely there are four, sometimes five or six, but just for um, attachment theory 101, <laughs> I'm going to just talk about three different styles. So we've got the secure attachment, as I mentioned. What this would look like for you as, as a youngster would be having your carers who are nearby, they're attentive, they're responsive, they're emotionally available. You as an adult, you would be saying things like, I'm comfortable relying on others and I'm not afraid of abandonment. So that would be you. So that'd be you as child and then you, that's how you manifest it as adult. Now, if it's the insecure attachment, these have been divided into lots of different types. I'm just gonna go with the two uh, for ease. One is anxious and one is avoidant, okay? So you've got the two styles, you've got secure on one side, insecure on the other side insecure divided into anxious and avoidant and other attachment styles are available so anxious this is what your um, carers would be inconsistent care unsure of availability or reliability seeking intimacy but also feeling unlovable and this is how it would manifest as an adult i want to be close but my closeness scares people i'm unlovable so it's that push-pull. It's that I can rely on you, you're right in my face, and then it's too much. Okay, so that would be the anxious. With the avoidant, as a, as a child, these would be the things you would experience. There'd be rejection, rejection of any kind of connection. So if you as a child were trying to connect with your parent or carer, that would be rejected. There would be that emotional rigidity from your parents or, or carers. As an adult, this would show up with you thinking, I don't feel safe getting close. It's hard to trust. So when you think about those different styles, you can work out, actually, I kind of default to that. Yeah, I really do. And I can change and I can change because they're not mm. fixed. I can look at this with this knowledge and I can go, I don't like it when I shut down. I think of my mother when I shut down or my father and I don't want to do that. What can I do differently? And it's OK. We go back to what we talked about earlier with having those vulnerable conversations. It's OK to say to your partner, look, I've done this test and I can see that this is my style. Can you help me with this? And why don't you do one as well? And let me see if how I can help you. And it may be that you've got the same style and maybe you've got different style. The interesting thing about these different attachment styles is they can show up in different types of relationships. So relationships with siblings, with family, with, uh, with parents, with work colleagues, with friendships. You could have different styles, still you, coming up in different ways with different dynamics. That doesn't mean that you're, you know, you've got different types of brains. It just means that that's the relationship dynamic that gets explored. It may be that at the beginning of a relationship, you're in the anxious stage as you progress through the relationship, you're both able to find that secure stage. And I'll talk a little bit about how you can build that secure attachment because it, it is possible for all of us. Um, things that might show up with your partner, if you have a partner who's from the anxious attachment, 
They might be wanting to seek approval, support, responsiveness. They think their partner's not invested in the relationship as much as they are. They've got this fear of abandonment. They're unlovable. I mean, goodness me, if your partner's saying, look, I know these things show up in me, you can look at how you can move towards them. We go back to coming up with some um, ways of, you know, how can I connect with my person? How can I make sure that we are on the same page and we're coming up with some agreements together? If your partner's avoidant, then it's going to be things like they're avoiding that emotional closeness. They're suppressing their feelings. They're the lone wolf, the independent one. They feel like they don't need a relationship to feel complete. So again, if you're in a relationship with somebody and that's how they manifest themselves at the moment, you might meet the in-laws and you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> I see where that came from. <laughs> you know, we're coming up to holiday season. There's a good parallels that you can draw. So you can say to them, look, when this happens, when this behavior happens, and we go back to the eyes, when you do this, when you when I'm having a conversation and you turn away from me, I get a reaction in my body. It, it I feel really sad because I want to move towards you. It really upsets me. Can we have a conversation about that? Because I know it's not your intention to upset me. That's how I feel. I feel upset. So you can lay out your stall. You can say, look, this is the action that happened. This is the reaction. It's, it, I'm not saying you're responsible for it. I'm not saying you did this to me. You caused this. I'm saying you did that. Fact one, exhibit one. <laughs> I felt that, exhibit two. Can we have a conversation? Because there's something going on here that I want to change. I know it sounds simple, but let's start from that and see if we can get some language around it. So when you start to do this ex exploration and you look into whether you're secure, anxious, avoidant, or, or one of the other styles, this can really impact different elements of your relationship. It can impact how you approach intimacy, how you approach sex, how you deal with conflict, your ability to communicate your wants and your needs, your expectations. We can do a whole podcast on expectations. I would love to do one on expectations. You know, what you think you want to get, what you deserve, what, what you're asking for, what you're not asking for. All of those things can be impacted. And so when we think about actually, okay, great. I know what my style is. I know it's possible to move towards that secure attachment. What do I do? Okay, well, one of the main things is look for opportunities for connection, okay? And, and I can give you millions of ideas on that. We've talked about some already, which has been brilliant. Uh, Esther Perel talks about having an email address that is just for you and your partner to talk about intimate stuff, to share hopes, to share dreams, to share the new sex toy you want to try. All of those things, it's just in this one email address that you use. Nothing on logistics and family and everything else that you need to sort out. It's just for that. We talked earlier about listening to podcasts today, together. You could have a book that you share. One person reads the book on attachment style and puts notes in it, pass it on to the next person, leaves them little messages in the book. Then you read the same book and you're connecting over having read this shared experience. You might want to try a workshop together. You know, you might want to try going to a, a rope workshop or something like that, where you're both out of your comfort zones, but actually you want to explore something new. You want to get into the kink side. Brilliant. Let's be scared together. Let's do this. And let's make sure we have those conversations afterwards. So looking for those opportunities for connection, making sure that you are really listening deeply, not listening to respond, but listening to hear what they're talking about. So that's practicing that presence Put the phones down. In fact, even better, put them in another room. Put them in another room because we all know how distracting they can be. You want to attune yourself to your partner. So you need to be in presence with them. 
and have that joint engagement together. So, you know, maintaining that eye contact, if that's how you operate, we have to be aware of individual differences. People process things in different ways, uh, neurodiversity, neurodivergence, making sure about what's comfortable in terms of how somebody communicates with you. Really important to get all that information as well. And making sure that you do things like play, being playful, being joyful and playful, looking for those opportunities for joyful and playfulness. I was talking to someone the other day and it reminded me of something that me and an ex used to do a lot. So we were both improvisers. Um, acting was, as I say, was part of my story. And we used to sit, we used to catch a lot of trains. We used to go on a lot of travels together and we would sit on the platform and there'd be pigeons or or whatever wandering about. We do the voices of the pigeons, <laughs> just play. They'd be one voice, I'd be another voice. So finding opportunities to just be silly. And finally, one, one major thing, then you can see how this tracks back to, to, you know, we were talking about attachment comes from primary carers and how they treat you. Marking comings and goings. What I mean by that is when, when the parent leaves the child, they will usually, in a secure attachment um, situation, give them a hug, give them a kiss. I'm just going into the other room. I'll be back. I'll be back in a minute, and they'll go out, and then they'll come back, and they'll go, "Hey!" and you know, positive face and 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 open eyes and expression. Hey! So there'll be that marking of the coming and going. When we get into long-term relationships, we don't do that. We don't even look up from our phone when the person comes in. We don't do that anymore. We do not mark the comings and goings. So you're missing an opportunity for connection and you're missing an opportunity for building a securely attached relationship. <laughs> this has been such a good episode. I'm so excited for people to hear it. I think like we can talk a lot about personal experience or like personal thoughts and feelings, but to hear from a coach and to hear like the the science behind it I suppose is so so helpful so thank you so much for coming on where can people find you I'm on Instagram mainly so that's Ali Hendry coaching um and you can look at my link tree and you can see what all the offerings are on there uh and check out the TED talk which is survivor's guide to jealousy and you can find out all about my interesting love life and how I managed to navigate uh, jealousy because I, um, I am non-monogamous so you would think somebody who has challenges around jealousy wouldn't enter into relationships with more than one person oh yeah I did that um, and so wow. you can see how I managed to work through that so so check that one out it's actually so honestly it's so interesting and I've actually asked like would you be like would you be open to it because I think like I don't know if it was you Jim when, when we were having the chat but like people you meet so many different people in the world like hundreds you go on different experiences and like obviously like monogamous relationships don't hinder you but I do think there is certain people who are designed to explore and I think that if you're that that way inclined a monogamous relationship it does not serve you and doesn't help you grow because I think and I am I read a book I don't know what the author's called, but it's called Pussy and it's all about like empowerment and women empowerment. And she says she has this, this man who like, she always goes back to and they flip to and from and they both have this agreement where like they both come back to each other. And although there was jealousy, like they just had such an intense connection that they couldn't not fall back, fall back into each other after all the life experiences. And I do find it so interesting. 
And it may be that that's the anxious avoidant dance, because if you're in a relationship and you're anxious and the other person is avoidant, wow, do you have amazing sex? Because it's a dance. It's to, it's fro, it's hot, it's cold, it's on, it's off. It's real passion. And it's very hard, <laughs> very hard <laughs> and can end up being very damaging if you can't get into that secure attachment side. So it becomes... Mm -hmm. A, uh, an addiction it really does and there's there's things about love that stimulate the different parts in our brains that are also in line with people who have addictions so it's it's physiological wow. it, it, it is an addiction isn't it like it definitely is like even just the chase or the game of it is an addiction it's in itself and then well how far can I push them away until they leave or can I still get them back yeah um, and with them and with the non-monogamous piece, we, we're so conditioned that it's called the relationship escalator. We're so conditioned to do all those societal markers that say we've got a proper relationship. So moving in together, getting married, having children, having a mortgage, um, shared car, all those kinds of things. And yes, we've changed the order of those things in terms of it used to be that you would obviously get married and then move in together. So things are always shifting around in terms of what's a marker. So why, why do we do that? Because actually people who are married sometimes live in different homes. People who have friendships, they're platonic friendships, they're not having sex, but they're romantic. They speak to them every day. They tell them they love them. They um, text them, they send them flowers. Why is that not as valid as your romantic, intimate sexual partner or partners? It's a whole other conversation, which I would love to delve in more around. And it's just, yeah, as you say, some people, they feel monogamy is limiting them. And we talked earlier about having that situation where I want to feel expansive. I want that sense of freedom. And I also want intimacy. And mm -hmm. sometimes we can do that in different relationship designs. And that's what I've always been curious about to explore and what else, and what else? <laughs> that's so interesting how like we value these different relationship designs, like how you'll be quicker to like, oh, not like everybody, but you might sack off your friends like easier to go and see the person that you've been dating but like you would never do it the other, like you would do it less the other way around and you would value just because you've slept with them a few times or because there's some kind of different intimacy compared to the deep connection that you have with these friends and like you say the romance on a different level of friendship so interesting like Jen, we we would it's actually so funny like I was laughing when you were saying you can like you'd read a book together and like make notes like me and Jen spent the whole holiday like <laughs> Yeah. Like on my birthday holiday, reading to each other, like you read me a chapter. I'm gonna get you an apparel spritz, Jen. Relax. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so, why not value that as much? Because I'm as guilty as the next person. I absolutely used to dump my friends from a high height when I entered my next serial monogamous relationship. I did that. And how I how I live now is I have a flat structure to my relationships so my relationship with my daughter with my friends with my partners with my cat <laughs> with work <laughs> colleagues they all have a place and what I can do is I can assess 
how how important they are right now, making sure that I'm not discounting anything, making sure that I'm not overwhelmed by all these different relationships and not prioritizing one over the other. Because why? Why would you put hierarchy on when you need all of those relationships in different ways? I think that's such an important message. I'd love to do one monologue, okay? (laughs) Yeah, we will. I think, I do think it's really important to remember that that everything has a place right now at this time I know for example like I always say it on the podcast but there was um one of our friends who ended up breaking up with someone and really just feeling like they had no one and she realized the importance of friendships and I think even for me like I know now that your web needs to be tangled with many different things like you can't prioritize because you never know when something has run its course you never know when a friend friendship's on its course you never know when it's time to leave something but if you've put all your eggs in that basket you've not left yourself any openness or anything new or the support from other people so I think it's so important to not prioritize just your relationship and to make sure that everything is working in order with each other definitely we're community creatures. You look back historically, years and years and years ago, if you were on your own, even if there's, or there's two of you separated from the pack, you're less likely to survive. We know that our bodies need community. And whether that community is friends, whether that's going to groups, whether that's reaching out on social media, whether that's family gatherings, whatever that is, we need different people around us to grow, to feel nourished. And so absolutely, if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, good luck, because sometimes, well, every relationship ends, because <laughs> even if it's together forever, someone's going to die first. Well, not always, but it's, it's always, <laughs> every single dynamic is going to end in some way. So yeah. let's make sure we are resourced. We are resourced. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming on. I'm so excited for the next few episodes maybe (laughs) (laughs) I love it why not I know a little series um but no we really appreciate you coming on thank you so much